Well, good morning, church. How's everyone doing? Good, man. It is just an incredible opportunity that we have to gather together to declare that truth, that we serve a holy God, that we serve a God who, for no other reason than just because he says, I love you, and I'm making a way for you. And what we're going to find today in today's scripture in the book of Exodus as we continue this series, Exodus, Redeemed to be Ruled, that God will. God will move. God is moving, and he will continue to do so. So I'm excited that we get to dive in that together. My name is Luke. If I don't know you, I want to get to know you because you matter to the Father, and you matter to us here at this church. And so we truly mean it. You are just an incredible um, Loved by God, you are a gift from the Lord that we get to worship together and serve. And so we do want to serve you however we can. And like you heard earlier, man, step across to guest services. Make yourself known. Step into starting point or baptism classes, whatever it is, whatever it looks like, so that we can continue to be the church together here in our community and across the world. I want to pray for us, and then we're going to stand for the reading of God's word together. So let us pray. God, we just thank you for your presence that you are here, God, that you have joined, (laughs) that we've joined you this morning, God. Not that you've joined us, but that we have joined you. You are here. So God, have your way. Would you speak to us through your word? God, we ask that you would just continue to transform us by the renewing of our minds, that we may follow you in everything. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Will you stand with me for the reading of God's word? In Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 16. It says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of the teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. You can grab a seat. You are no longer slaves to sin, but you are slaves to righteousness. It's an interesting phrase, and it's an interesting way to jump into the story of Exodus, where we find the people of God as slaves in Egypt, making bricks, being oppressed, and we're going to find out that their oppression increases in the chapters that we're going to read in just a few moments. But it's such, an, it's such like a different way of thinking that we don't even comprehend as, as Americans, as Westerners, that what does it really mean to be a slave to righteousness? Because we live in a day and age where rugged individualism is what we are all about. It's, maybe you can help me with this phrase, it's my way or the my way or the highway. You guys know that well. How many times you told that to your kids, parents? It's my way or the highway, and you can walk for all I care. All right? So don't do that. That's not nice. But we also live in a day and age where there's this, there's this thing that you live your truth and you be you. And all these types of ideas that breed selfishness, that, that raise us up to say, I am my own person. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. And it is my choosing to live however I want to live. But what we see in the story of Exodus is that the people of Israel have never been their own people and really never, they're not meant to be. They were never meant to be their own people. They're meant to be God's people and they are God's people. And so this tagline for this series is redeemed to be ruled and that just seems to cut against the grain of our culture 
So I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to just say, I'm redeemed to be ruled. The hesitation in that alone proves my point. We're like, well, I will, I'm not redeemed to be ruled by nobody. I am my own. It is weird to say. That's why we have these bracelets to remind ourselves. I've been redeemed to be ruled that I am not my own, but that I belong either one to sin or two to God. And that's a reality for every person in this room and anyone who's listening in online or wherever they hear this. You are either a slave to sin or you are a slave to righteousness, meaning that you have been bought with a price, the blood, shed blood of Jesus, and you now are a citizen of heaven ruled by a good king, and his name is Jesus. Or you're a slave to sin, following the sinful ways and the ways of the evil one. That's the reality in this room. There is no in-between. And so this morning, we're going to walk through this story to see what, those, what being a slave to sin looks like and what it means to be set free, to see that God will move. So if you'll join me in Exodus chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 1. And we're gonna, there's a lot happening in this passage, but we're just going to kind of hit a few verses of this. But I do encourage you to make, go back and reread 5 and 6 because it's an incredible narrative to see. We've been working our way up to this point where Moses has been developed and Moses is growing as the spiritual leader God has made him to be for this moment. That he steps into Pharaoh's presence and says, let my people go. So if you'll join me in Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. We find in the beginning of this passage a battle of authority, of whose God is greater. In the Egyptian culture, Pharaoh was seen as one of their gods, one of the people that were put there in order to speak on behalf of the gods so that whatever Pharaoh said, it happened. It was Pharaoh's way or the highway. This is how their culture operated. And there was always going to be, if you didn't do what the God said, there was going to be some sort of negative ramifications. There was going to be some sort of negative consequence for not obeying the gods, not obeying Pharaoh or what they thought were these gods. And so I want to ask this morning as a question for you to begin to process and begin to, to think through, who do you serve? A little g God like Pharaoh or do you serve the one true God? Who do you serve? A little g, lowercase, lowercase g God, or the one true God, Yahweh, as we see mentioned throughout when you see that capital L-O-R-D in the passage. This is Yahweh, the one who says, I am that I am, that Moses encountered. And we see in verse 2, this battle happens that Pharaoh says, I don't know your God, I don't know the Lord, this Yahweh that you speak of. Who is he that I would obey him? Who is he that I would even give just a, a slight thought to this? It's what we see happen all the time. And whose authority do you speak in our, in our culture, in our countries? When you send ambassadors out, you get to speak on behalf of someone with authority, with, with a name that it comes with. But what Pharaoh's saying is, I don't recognize your authority. 
I don't recognize this God. He is not even on my radar, so I will not obey. I will not obey him. And so I asked that question, who do you serve? A little G God or, a cap, or the one true God, a capital G God. And for us in our culture, and our community, we find that we choose a whole lot of lowercase g gods. Like, we're not some part of some polytheistic culture anymore like the Egyptians were. We don't write on stones and have all these pictures and, you know, people don't make movies and write stories about this um, mythology of the Egyptians. But you better believe that we serve a bunch of little g gods too often. Because you're either a slave to sin and bondage serving a bunch of little g gods or you are a slave to righteousness serving the God. There is no in-between. There is no, uh, well, I'll just kind of live my life and I'll give a little bit to God. It's all or nothing. That's how this is meant to work out. And so I ask that question, what does it even begin to look like you? What are those little G gods that hold you back that you are having to serve, but the reality is it is bringing death to you? It feels like you're withering away. One of the things that just honestly, if I can just be just really transparent with you guys for a moment, one of the things that breaks my heart right now, students, where you, it was sixth through like 12th grade, just throw your hands up. Man, you guys are looking good this morning. Everyone's awake. I love it. Students, one of the things that breaks my heart is that I see your, your generation being wrapped up in apathy. I see your generation being wrapped up in a little g god of self. I see your generation be wrapped up, and it's no different than the old folks in the room, respectfully said. Um, it's no different. We all serve these little G-gods, but students, for some reason, you got a special place in my heart. One, because I used to work with a lot of you. But two, that apathy, where you think, it doesn't matter, and I just kind of roll through life, it is a bondage. It is sin that is crouching at your door, and it is clinging to so many of us. So yeah, we'll just see. We'll just kind of roll with it. God has called us to so much more to a life that is so full and so robust, that's eternal and everlasting and overflowing, and yet we find ourselves as students just going, eh, whatever. And so I'm praying this morning, students, for you especially, uh, even as I'm talking, I, like my heart and my mind are praying for you, that you will see God move today. You'll see God move in your life. That it wouldn't be a little G God of sports or academics or what the world thinks of you, but you would serve the one true God who has more in store for you than you can ever imagine. And adults, same for you. That we would see the one true God has more in store for each and every one of us this morning. Because here's what we understand. Pharaoh, in the same passage in a moment, he says, I don't know your God. I don't believe in his authority. I don't care what you're saying, I will not let the people go. And in doing so, we find out the effects of really what sin is. Sin is this unbelievable weight and this burden, this oppression that keeps you back. It's that fear that paralyzes. It's that anxiety that holds us in its grips. It is all sorts of addictions and things that hurts and hangups and all these things that we could just get wrapped up in. And what we find is in slavery being a slave to sin, being under the oppression, is that sin will always take more than it will ever give. Sin will always take more than it will ever give. We find in this passage that Pharaoh says, not only do I not know your God and know I will not let your people go, but because you've come to me, I'm going to make the job of the Israelites in their slavery so much more difficult, so much more painful, because here's what's going to happen. They would be making bricks, and then the Egyptian people would provide straw to help make this brick that would be able to be durable and last over time. But what's happening in that moment, Pharaoh says, 
here's what you're going to do. I'm going to require you to make the same amount of bricks, and I'm not providing any of the straw. I'm not providing you the stuff you need to do what I've, I'm forcing you to do. Isn't that what sin does for us? It says, hey, I'm going to require a lot more of you, but I'm not going to give you anything to accomplish it. That's what sin does in our life is it wraps us up and says, hey, you have to meet this standard. Hey, you have to meet this goal, but good luck. Not going to give you anything to accomplish it. That is what it means when it says the wages of sin is death in Romans 6.23. That there is no possibility of getting out of that. It's done. We are in so much trouble when we are slaves to sin because we will never match up to the standard. We'll never feel good enough. We'll never achieve that level that the standard of sin says, hey, if you only had this much or if you only look like this or whatever that measure that the, that the enemy's trying, that lie he's trying to stir in you, He's never going to provide you anything to match that up. And we see in the passage that the Pharaoh takes away the straw, but yet he still requires the same amount of bricks to be made for them. Sin will take more than it will ever give to you. It is a lie, a lie from the enemy. It says, hey, this, this, this thing will help you feel better. This thing will make you feel good. But then as soon as that sin takes place or whatever happens, it's going to come back to bite you. It's going to come back with a vengeance. This is the problem of guilt and shame and sin. It is cyclical. I feel bad, so I need something to make me feel better. And then as soon as you like, do something to feel better, it says, oh, who, how could you? I can't believe you. There's no way God could love you. There's no way. And it spins the cycle again and again and again. This is the effect of sin. It's brokenness. Sin breaks our relationship with God, that we were meant to be ruled by a good God who cares for us, works on our behalf, who provides for us the things that we need. But because of sin, we find ourselves lost, wandering. So many of us found ourselves hopeless, saying God can't move in this situation. And we find ourselves crying out, We find ourselves longing for redemption. We find ourselves longing for things to be put back together. We often sing a song, and there's a line, and maybe you you can remember and help me out with it. But it says, do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the world is broken? And there's this response that says, we do. We feel the effects that this isn't how it should be. This isn't how life should operate. And that's very real. I mean, in the room, how many of you feel like, man, like something's not right in this world? You, you with me? It's so like it's something like I can't shake that this isn't how it should be, because I see the brokenness. I see friends' marriages. I have uh, just a dear friend that's just going through some incredible hard stuff, and I'm like, this isn't how it should be. This isn't how it should be. But somehow a lie became chains, and those chains are keeping my friend back. And man, it just, whew, it <laughs> kills me. Kills me because I know that God had more for him. And I'm praying and I'm believing God can move and he will move. And that's so many of us in this, mor- this morning. Can God move? Will he move? Because we find out the effects of sin are massive. If you look with me in chapter 5, verses 10 we see what really this effect of sin looks like. 
So the taskmasters, the foremen of the people, went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves, whether you can find it, wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. And which you key in on verse 12. So the people were scattered throughout the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. Just like I said moments ago, sin will take more than it will ever give, and it will never give you what you need to measure up to fix the brokenness, to fix the things that you, where your heart truly hurts, where the longing is the deepest. Sin will not do that. It says, and you want, if you can circle that in your Bible, it says scattered. Scattered. Isn't that how, how it seems like in our world? It seems so scattered. Yet there's something in us that's calling for, this, should, this shouldn't be this way. It should, we should be unified. We should be able to see goodness in, 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 our, in our homes and goodness in our community and goodness in our country. But it feels scattered. It feels divided. This is the effect of sin. We will always be scattered when we are serving lesser gods. We will always be scattered when we're serving lesser gods. When we're under the hand as slaves to sin and uh, under the oppression of sin, we will find ourselves scattered. We will find ourselves in a place where we don't have hope, where it's hard to measure up, where where every moment can be caught up in uh, fear and worry and anxieties because we feel that longing. That's scattered, trying to make ends meet, trying to figure it out. It's a sad, can feel like a lonely place to be. And in that very moment, the enemy wants to work in us. Because what we see happen in the people of Israel is they call out, Moses, why did you go open your big mouth to Pharaoh? You got us in more trouble. You, you, you're causing us to, to not make ends meet when it comes to uh, what's happening with making bricks. We're not able to do it anymore. Why did you speak up? It is harder for us. And I want you to understand that we live in a, what I've heard some people call the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. The now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. Where God is here and there is freedom in the room. And I know many of you in this room and online, you can testify to the freedom that God has brought. I can tell you I'm a different man than I was years ago. That Christ did a work in me and has changed me from the inside out. That the things that once held me are no longer holding me. And I know many of you in the room, you can say, Whew, I'm a free man, I'm a free woman. But I'm a free man unto God. I'm a free woman unto God. I do not belong to myself. It is Christ who lives in me. And we can celebrate that. We can rejoice in that. And we're going we're gonna to do that in just a little bit. But what we find in this moment is that the not yet. Why is it still hard? Why does it still feel like there's tension? Why does it still feel like there's brokenness all around? When I'm trying to do my best, I'm praying. I'm waking up. I'm reading my Bible. God, where are you? We see Moses walk into something very similar towards the end of this passage. Chapter 5, verse 22. Moses, said, Moses then turned to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people. 
I want you to hear loud and clear the now and not yet of Moses. He says, what just happened? I thought I was going to step in there, say, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh baby, let my people go. (laughs) Got got some friends in the room. All right, we know that old song. Kids, ask your parents. It's just an old jam. I don't know. So they got motions for it too. You should ask them to show show them to you at lunch. Um, I'm going to walk in there. I'm going to say, Pharaoh, let my people go. And then what happens? No. And here's no with a whole lot more oppression to go with it. So Moses hears the groaning of his people. He's he's dealing with people coming at him and saying, yo, you're causing trouble in my life. You're making it difficult for me. You're making it hard for the rest of us. And I want you to hear, in the not yet kingdom of God, God is big enough for your feelings and your hurt. The question is, are you calling out to him or are you calling out to the people around you just complaining and grumbling? Because Moses, instead of complaining and grumbling with the people of Israel, saying, hey, just hang on. Hey, I've got this figured out. Trust me. Trust me. He goes straight to God with his hurt, with his feelings, and he's pretty bold. You have not delivered your people at all. I want you to hear God is big enough for that. And so are you going to God with your fears and your longings and the brokenness in your world? Are you going to your neighbors, your friends, or your spouse, or your students in the room? Are you just complaining about life around you? I want to invite you this morning to go to the Father. I want you to go to the Father because though we are no longer slaves to sin, those of us who believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been brought into new life, eternal life. We are slaves to righteousness. We get to serve him with all that we are but that doesn't remove this, this, this in-between of the pain that this isn't how it should be. And God's big enough to handle it. So I want to ask you to just kind of make this observation for us that we see in the story of Moses. That success is simply being obedient to God, no matter the outcome. Success is simply being obedient to God, no matter the outcome. It doesn't matter how the, how the, how the cards fall. Are you obedient to God, to what he has called you to? Last week, we we heard from Pastor Joel, and he he challenged us. He said, will you say yes? Is your yes on the table? Are all your cards saying, God, I'm trusting you with everything, no matter the outcome. I don't care if they take away the straw. I don't care what oppression comes. I don't care what happens to my physical body, because I trust you, God. I trust you with all that I am. So I'm putting it on the table. Have your way. Is that that you in the room? Because that is what Moses has to come to grips with. Because it's not going the way he wants it to. He's still doubting. He's still wrestling with this thing, saying, God, why are you using me? I I, I don't understand. I've got a speech impediment. And and it's not working the way that you said it would. I, I saw you do these miracles before. Why aren't you doing a miracle right now? And I think that some of us in the room are saying, God, why aren't you doing a miracle right now? God, why aren't you fixing this? God, why aren't you helping us out in this this health situation, this financial situation, or my marriage? Why aren't you showing up? And I want you to understand that God is big enough for all that emotion, all those thoughts, but the question is, is your yes on the table? Because what we see happen in this next part of the passage is incredible. I want you to understand something. Look at verse, chapter 6, verse 1. But the Lord speaks back to Moses. 
The Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. A reassurance. A call to the same thing he has been saying. I will lead my people out of slavery. I will bring my people out of bondage. I will do this. God is teeing this up to remind Moses that he will do what he says he will do. This is the God that we serve. And even down in verse 5, I want you to, I want you to circle this. In verse chapter 5, excuse me, chapter 6, verse 5. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And I want you to circle this word. And I have remembered. I have remembered my covenant. That word remember is not just a, a word, like a thought, like, oh, yeah, I, I remember that thought. That was, that was a good thought that I gave you a while back, Moses. It's not a casual thing. It is a very active word. I have remembered and I will be moved to action because I do what I say I will do. I will keep my promises. One of the greatest attributes of our God is his holiness, and his holiness is this faithfulness that he has. He is holy, therefore he is faithful in all things. He is a covenant-keeping God. He doesn't lie. He doesn't just make up stories to make us feel good. He is holy, and he is faithful in all things. He will remember and act on his timing for his will and his way. And we get to be the beneficiaries of it, though sometimes it may hurt. Though sometimes it may seem difficult. Though it may not make logical sense. He will move. And he goes on to say, and I want you to look at this, verses 6 through 8. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know, you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land that I swore that I promised to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. There's so many bold declarations of God saying, I am the Lord. I am God. I am Yahweh. And there's four powerful declarations. These are actually, uh, in, in the culture, these would be understood as royal proclamations. Someone standing up and reading on behalf of the royalty. This is what the king says. But he says it himself, not someone else saying it on his behalf. The Lord tells Moses, and he tells him to remind the people that he will move. He says, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So I'll I'll bring you out of slavery and into freedom, but not freedom like we think in in the West. Freedom that is obedient and, and following the Lord God. He says, I will bring you out of that. I will deliver you from bondage of slavery. I will deliver you from the things that hold you back, the chains that so wrap you up, as the book of Hebrews tells us, that sin that so easily tangles us up and keeps us from running the race that God has for us. He says, I will remove those. I will unlock the chains. I will break them, and I will throw them to the side. 
I will remove those. I will, he says. I will deliver you. He says, I will redeem you. So we think, oh, this is a wasted life. This is a wasted moment. This is a wasted breath. God says, no, it's not. I will redeem those moments. I will redeem the time that you thought was wasted. I will redeem those things for you. And how is he going to do it? With an outstretched arm, with great acts of judgment. Would you hold on to that phrase in a minute? We're going to unpack that with an outstretched arms and with great judgments. And he says, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. So he's going to bring you from slavery. He's going to bring the people of Israel from slavery. He's going to bring them out of their bondage and their oppression. He is going to uh, redeem them. And he's going to make them a home, drawing near to them. These are royal proclamations from God Almighty. The same God that we sang two moments ago. Those things are true, have always been true, and will always be true. So I wonder, for many of you in this room, what is the things, like as you heard those phrases, what are the things that you need to be redeemed from? What's the, the bondage and the, and the things that are holding you back from all that God is stirring in you? Maybe you feel like you don't belong and you're longing for a place of love and safety and security. Maybe you feel like time is wasted. And I want you to just think on that for a minute. I want you to consider those things for you. When we come together, it's not just to hear someone speak or to sing some songs, but it's, it's to allow God to sit with us and to speak to us, Holy Spirit, to come and stir things in our hearts and in our minds so that we can be transformed, that we could follow him out of these doors. This is what it means for us to gather on Sundays, to gather as his people, to be moved by Holy Spirit, to be transformed. And that means not sitting back and just listening. That means allowing God to do a work in you. What are those things that you need to be delivered from? What are those things where you feel bondage? What are those things that maybe even seeing your friends and your neighbors around you where you feel like they're being held back, that there is more that God has for them? And I'm not talking about, you know, the good life like, like we talk about in America with more vacations and more money in our bank accounts. I'm talking about an obedient life where success is not defined by anything other than obedience to God. I'm not talking about you feeling good about yourself. I'm talking about are you different because you've moved from sin and being bound to death to life, everlasting, righteousness, right standing with God. What are those things? for you or for your friends or your family. And I want us to do some work together this morning, if that's all right. I want us to, to stand together. You can go on, you can stand on up. You're like, whoa, this isn't, this isn't normal church. Well, it's Chapel Point. So I don't know if we're quite the normal church. The scriptures say, I will. God will. And so for you in this room, I'm gonna, we're going to do a little work together. We're going to say God will, 
And I want you to fill in the blank, and I just want you to call it out in the safety of some brothers and sisters in the room. Maybe you need to say, God will redeem. And you got that idea of what, he, you, what you think he needs to redeem. May, for, for me, I'm praying that God moves in my friend's life. And I need some friends to pray with me. Because this rock ain't moving unless Jesus moves. Unless Jesus moves it. Maybe you need to be delivered. Maybe students or adults or men in this room, there are some things holding on to you that are in secret that, Lord Jesus, would you redeem and deliver? Because here's what I know. Here's what I know, church. Exodus 6, 6 says, with an outstretched arm, how do I know that God will move? Because God has already moved on your behalf and on your friend's behalf and on our entire world. God has already moved with outstretched arms, the arms of Jesus Christ, nailed to a cross for your sins and the sins of this whole entire world. Sin is laid on him. Every bit of it was laid on his arms in great acts of judgment. God poured out his judgment on Jesus so that you don't have to. Jesus pushed you out of the way of the bus. You didn't get what you deserve, and he gives us a life that we can never, ever earn. He does it for us. So how do I know God will move us? Because he has. And I know this morning God is going to continue to move, and this isn't some prosperity gospel. It is just reality. It may just not look like we want it to look, and we get to trust and be obedient. So on the count of three, I'm going to say one, two, three. On the count of three, that's what that would be. I'm smart, I'm from Texas. We're going to say, God will, and I want you to put in that word. I want you to just call it out. In this room and online in your bedroom, stand up with us, say it out loud, because God is moving. And he is here. You with me? Sweet. No response. All right. Me and you, Michelle. All right. Ready? One. Two, three. God will move. Ready? One, two, three. God will redeem. One, two, three. God is going to stir in my brother's heart. One, two, three. God is going to restore and save lives. One, two, three. God is going to break down walls of addiction. One, two, three. God is moving. He will move. He has moved. He is going to continue to move. Because Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty and we have hope, my friends. We have life everlasting when we believe and we trust. We've been moved from the sin of sla- slavery of sin to slaves of righteousness. We are free. One, two, three. God will move. One, two, three. God will redeem. One, two, three. God will restore. When you think you're losing, when you think all hope is lost, I want you to know that God will. When you think you got nothing left, when you think there's no way that God will move, I want you to know that God will. 
And so, Lord Jesus, would you come? Would you fill this place with your peace and your presence? Your nearness is our good, Father. And we thank you that you have drawn near to us through Jesus Christ. We thank you that we have life everlasting, though we still feel the effects of sin, though we still feel uh, the pain around us, though we still feel the world is broken. God, we trust you that you will, that you will, that you will. God, you will move. God, you are moving. So we worship you, God. We honor you, God. We give you all praise and all glory because you are the only way. You are the only truth. And God, you are the only life. So Jesus, for my friends in this room, for those who are joining us online, God, we ask, we beg, hear our groans and our cries, and we trust you that you are moving, breaking addictions, freeing us from sin, breathing new life and hope into weary bones, healing, restoring marriages, you're doing that, and you're allowing us to be a part of it as your, as your church. What an honor. God, but you have your will be done in us right here in West Michigan as it is in heaven. Have your way, God, for your glory, for your purpose. We pray this all in the holy, mighty name of Jesus. Amen.